Our scripture reading this morning is from Judges 10, uh, the first two verses. Judges 10, beginning at verse 1. This is God's holy and infallible word. After the time of Abimelech, a man of Issachar, Tola, son of Pua, the son of Dodo, rose to save Israel. He lived in Shamir in the hill country of Ephraim. He led Israel 23 years, and then he died and was buried in Shamir. That's God's reading for us uh, this morning. Did you, do, did you notice anything striking about those two verses? And I mean, other than the obvious, this is an extremely short account of a judge compared to others that we've read And there are uh, six minor judges in the book that have very brief accounts like this. Six major ones, six minor ones. So that's obvious. What's also obvious uh, and striking that you probably notice is Tola's grandfather's name, Dodo. Grandpa Dodo. (laughs) But my question is, did you notice anything else odd here? I'm going to give you a clue uh, thinking back to previous judges that we learned about. Othniel saved Israel from Aaron, Aram, A-R-A-M. Ehud saved Israel from Moab. Shamgar saved God's people from the Philistines. Deborah saved God's people uh, from a king of Canaan, uh, Jabin and his evil henchman Sisera, you remember them? Gideon saved Israel from the Midianites. Did you catch who Tola saved Israel from? Nobody. Nobody is mentioned. And what it means is that he really saved Israel from itself. After the times of Abimelech, it reads, in those times, God's people, the Old Testament church, they needed saving from themselves. I'm an NBA fan, I think most of you know that, but I haven't talked about about that much in recent years, and that may or may not have to do with the fact that my team, the Lakers, has been terrible the last few years. But now, they're on the upswing, Uh, they have LeBron James, uh, and if you don't know the NBA at all, uh, LeBron James might just be the second best player Uh, ever in the NBA after Michael Jordan. So you just may hear a bit more about the NBA as time goes on in the future. But the best NBA team these past five years, pretty much everyone would agree on this, has been uh, the Golden State Warriors with like Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, now Kevin Durant, Draymond Green. These guys leading the way. They've won three championships in that time. They have this year all-stars literally at every position. And their talent level is so far above every other team that it's often said, I've heard it a dozen times, maybe more, just in commentary and so forth, that the only team that can beat Golden State is Golden State. In other words, their threat is not other teams. Their threat is not on the outside, but it's on the inside. And... And there's a, there's a nugget of truth there for us as the church, as God's team together here at faith. 
In the Heidelberg Catechism, um, in, in the very last lesson, number 52, and that's the end of six or seven lessons explaining the Lord's Prayer. The very last lesson asks, what does this part of the Lord's Prayer mean? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. The answer starts, by ourselves we're too weak to hold our own, even for a moment. And I hope this morning that you know that, that you feel that, because that's going to drive us to seek our strength and security only in Jesus when we know that we're not strong enough to escape temptation on our own. But then it goes on, it says, our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh never stop attacking us. And the church has always had those three enemies. The devil and his demonic forces, the world, and when we think of the world, it makes us think of where culture is going and it doesn't seem great. At elders' meetings, we always have a relevant topic that we read about and we discuss together. And this past Monday, we read a, a really thoughtful and well-done article that focused on transgenderism and similar issues of our day. And the article in our discussion was about how to sort through that and, and respond to some of these attacks against the traditional view of marriage and attacks against God's word in our day. So that's the, the world, the devil, the world. But then there's a third enemy that Christians see identified clearly in the Bible, and that's our own sinful flesh. Our own sinful flesh. There's a sense in which we are our own enemy, which is definitely not a popular thing to say in this era of self-esteem when most people think everyone is basically pretty good and everyone deserves a trophy just for being who they are. But believers know better. We still have uh, the old man of sin within us that can cause problems. And that's not even a politically correct thing to say, the old man of sin, like we used to. If we were politically correct, we might change that to say something like, we have an, an older gentleman with some character flaws within us. But that's not true. It's worse than that. The Bible teaches us that within every one of us remains a stubborn, sinful, selfish nature that resists God on a very regular basis. Not that we never become more like Jesus at all. We believe we grow in grace, but the fact is that this battle within is something that every single one of us is going to struggle with until God makes all things new when Jesus returns. You know, we, we think about our lives, we think about making a difference in the world, we think about our schooling, getting a degree, getting good grades on our tests, um, our career, our family. We think about those in need. We think about wanting to make a difference in this world. But the biggest project in your life and mine will always remain the one on the inside, working on ourselves. 
And that enemy within can be the church's greatest enemy too, us, sinful people. And, and so Tola, this minor judge, doesn't save Israel from an external enemy, but from itself after the time of Abimelech. And, and so how did that time look in ancient Israel? It's in chapter 9. We touched on it just a little bit last week. Um, there's a whole lot in that chapter, but I just want to draw on some bigger picture ideas for us to see what the solutions are for the problems within God's people. I've got three solutions for the church as a whole, and then a more personal one that will also affect the church as a whole. First of all, we're called to biblical worship. And I say this because false worship was one of uh, the problems Israel needed saving from in Abimelech's day. And, and you see it in chapter 9, verse 27. If you've got your Bibles open, you can peek there. Um, but we also see it many other times during the Judges. Worshiping the Lord rightly, in other words, is an antidote for sin within. And, and i got to say, we believe in the importance of right worship at faith. Uh, that, that we worship God only in the way that he lays out in his word. And that, that's why you'll see uh, what the Bible shows us is appropriate in worship here. Reading and proclamation of the Bible singing and music, prayers, offerings, testimonies, whether they're personal testimonies or sharing about a faith church ministry or uh, a ministry partner of ours, confession and assurance, celebrating the sacraments. We, we want to follow God's way, not dream up our own little ideas of, of what might be neat. Uh, we believe that we as a church family, anybody who comes in with us, we believe that people grow in grace through God's means of grace. And anything else other than how God directs us in his word, that's letting present-day idols dilute our worship and our allegiance, just like happened time and again in Judges, as we've seen. Anything else is minor compared to that big idea of doing it God's way. Dress, style, whatever building we might worship in, whether we're sitting in chairs or pews. We don't want to major on the minors here at Faith and Worship. The major is God's way. The major is God's glory. And that's what's best for God's people too. Another church-wide matter is that we're called to godly leadership. Something unique about the time of Abimelech, different from the rest of Judges, the Judges were always called by God. But Abimelech, in the previous chapter that Tola brought the people out of, uh, with God's help, of course, but Abimelech put himself in power by himself. And he did it through murder, he did it through treachery, all sorts of ungodly means. And then, so that's bad enough, but then instead of booting this guy, who clearly was showing signs of being a no-good leader, but yet all the people followed him. So it's on all of Israel, the ancient church too. Um, and, and so we want 
godly leadership. Uh, we want that at faith. Elders and deacons and pastors. Uh, we have a process where the church calls, but also uh, we, we ask people to look in their hearts. Is God also calling you uh, to, to this office? Um, we want elders and deacons and pastors who are called by God and who realize that they serve under God and, and actually serve all of God's people always um, to have that humility and, and the process and prayer that go into the way that we appoint and elect leaders in the church is all for that purpose. And godly leadership also includes leadership with the mission, with the purpose. Our leaders are, are called to discern always what God wants our church to be doing and focusing on here and now. And that's why, again, I think I said it Thanksgiving Day in the message. That's why, again, I'm so thankful for leaders in our church putting together this strategic team. And we all, I hope, are, are praying for God's blessing on that team in those meetings. Third, we're called to unity. In Abimelech's day, uh, it was Israelite against Israelite. There was division, strife, infighting, and, and God just hates those things among his people. Um, and, and it happens sometimes in churches. But, but God's word says, uh, I just want to read to you from 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10. Paul, in his letters, 1 Corinthians is one of his letters, um, he talks about disunity, lack of unity, and encourages us toward unity all the time. This is just one verse where he says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you would agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. That is God's will for us. That level of unity. It's God's word. And this was another way that God's ancient church and church throughout the ages needed saving from themselves. And then the one last item that's more personal, and this is really the foundation of all of this. None of this can happen without people having pure hearts. And we're called to have pure hearts. The root cause of any problem in the church, of all our other problems in our own lives, is the one inside of us. The root problem is sin in our own hearts and lives. Uh, we need deliverance from that more than anything. And first, otherwise, the church is going to be infected with internal issues in terms of worship, and leadership, and unity. Jonathan, our youth director, uh, when we were chatting about my sermon a little bit this week, which we do sometimes, um, he reminded me of James 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Oh, well, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And so we're called to battle those internal struggles we have. We don't just let them be. Well, I've got some character flaws. We don't let them be and fester and grow. We bring the heart issues that we all have to the Lord, and we allow Him to lead us. And so, as we go to the Lord's Supper in just a bit, uh, we're assured that 
Jesus went to the cross for all our issues and problems and sin. Jesus went to the cross to deliver us from ourselves. And we come to the table to meet Jesus because we can't have victory over any of the enemies of God's people without the child of Bethlehem. In the supper, we'll have our faith strengthened so that, you know what, we might be a fortress in the face of the world and the devil. Come what may from the outside, we can be secure on the inside in Jesus Christ. And, and so we, we prepare to set our hearts aright by meeting Jesus this Christmas season. And even today, in a special way as we celebrate communion in just a little bit. And I, I might I suggest during communion that you spend some time uh, meditating and thinking about and praying about how you can win your greatest battle, the one within, how you can keep working on that biggest project of all. And could I suggest that you think about it in terms of, of the church as well, in, in terms of worship. When you come to worship services, whenever they are, morning or night, that you've spent some time preparing your heart for worship, for meeting God, uh, for, for receiving what God wants you to hear and have in worship. And that during worship, you're praying for your heart to be pure and receptive to, to what God is saying and how God wants us to worship. In terms of church leadership, uh, would you meditate and pray about how you can support and encourage and pray for godly leaders in this church? And if you're ever called to leadership, would you consider and think about being open to that very important aspect of our church life. And in terms of, of the unity of the church that was lacking in Abimelech's time and that can lack sometimes, would you, would you pray and meditate about working towards that here at Faith? In terms of your talk, in terms of your attitudes, um, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we've seen from this brief account of, of Tola, you yet have something uh, to say to us about um, your church, your people, each one of us needing saving from ourselves. And, and, and Lord, praise God, that's really uh, the heart of Christmas, O oh God. You came to deliver us. And, and what from? You came to deliver us from all our enemies, the devil, the world, but also you came to deliver us from ourselves, and we give you praise for that, and we thank you for that, and, and we, Lord, we, we throw ourselves at your feet for your salvation, for your deliverance. Bless us as we move ahead into this time of celebrating your coming 
and your work in the Lord's Supper. Help us uh, to meditate and pray about um, the, the work that still needs to be done in our hearts, uh, the work that we're doing together as a church, and, and bless it, Lord. Uh, in your name we pray, amen.